All right. Hey, so um, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, where we find ourselves now. So we're going to be picking up in verse number nine. Quick intro today. I'll try to cut this part a little bit so we can move along. But as you know, the Sermon on the Mount is a, a sermon that Jesus taught. And, and Jesus, as the greatest communicator that ever lived, Jesus, as the greatest teacher that ever lived, he teaches a sermon that no doubt, because in Jesus's day, they didn't have podcasts and they didn't have um, internet and radio and those kind of things. And so this is a message that Jesus, as a traveling preacher, he would have shared on more than one occasion. We have uh, big excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount repeated for us in Luke's gospel, but it's with the heading, the Sermon on the Plain. And so possibly another place where Jesus gave this sermon. And then it would not be strange to think that Jesus preached it in multiple locations on his travels. But the thing about the Sermon on the Mount is that this is the greatest sermon that was ever preached by God himself, right? As Jesus preaches it. And so for us to read it and teach it and expound on it. And, you know, it's a little intimidating to take the words of the Sermon on the Mount and feel like I'm going to do them any justice for you. When, you know, um, I think God has given us license and ability, but I just want to say maybe just to read the Sermon on the Mount and allow God to minister to you. And so I've been encouraging you guys, us, myself, that, that as we go through this over the next couple of weeks, we'll probably have another week or two um, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so encouraging, and I have been each week, so hopefully you guys have been doing it, that we're reading Matthew 5, 6, and 7, allowing God to speak to you, hearing the Sermon on the Mount, allowing God's Spirit to apply it to your life personally and draw out for you the things that, 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 that you need in your heart. Now, along with your normal reading assignments and your normal reading that you do on a day-to-day basis that you're adding this to it. Now, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount um, talks about basically, and the big part of it is um, integrity versus hypocrisy. So the hypocrisy of the who? The Sadducees and the Pharisees or the religious folks, the hypocrisy of religion. We see that same hypocrisy now. What is that hypocrisy? Basically, in a nutshell, the hypocrisy of religion that Jesus warns you against is that you have an outward form of righteousness, but inward, it's like dead man's bones. In other words, Jesus said that you you worship me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. You know, I can remember I was um, I was a new Christian. And I had got saved about about six months a Christian. And I moved out of L.A. where I was living when I became a Christian. I was living in Hemet, California with a wonderful Christian family who who was praying for me and reaching out to me. And as you guys know, I had all kinds of bondage and addiction as a 20-year-old when I got saved. And they brought me to their home and they were taking me to church with them. I was beginning to grow in Christ. I was in love with God. I was reading God's word every day. God was really working in my heart and life. And I was changing. I was being delivered from um, bondage and a life of 20 years of, of not walking with the Lord. And, and during that season, I went through a little bit of a season of... Um, you know, I had a free weekend and I was working full time there in Hemet. I was involved in the church. I was growing. I was doing good. But then I'd have a free weekend or a three day weekend. And one particular three day weekend during this first year, six months, year of my, my life of walking with the Lord from 20 to 22. That's the time I spent there. I went home to Los Angeles and it was as if I never left. I just Friday night, I rolled into town until I left Monday afternoon, you know, went back to, to the old me and the old spots and the old thing and and just had a really 
lapse and a bad weekend and a, a letdown in my faith. And I'm, I'm driving back home to Hemet Monday on my three-day weekend. And my car radio, I had turned it off when I left Hemet. And it was on a Christian radio, probably Air One or K-Love, one of the two. And I pull back into like basically the Hemet area and I reach down and I turn my radio back on that I hadn't had on the entire weekend at all. And it's still on the Christian radio station when I left Hemet on Friday. And the first I turn the radio on as I'm pulling in to like Ramona Expressway. If anybody knows that, it's like the final road you get into before you get into Hemet. And I turn the radio on and, and a song comes on by Larry Norman. And the first words that come out of my car are, the sun has come and you've been left behind. And immediately um, I began to panic and and I began to repent and and God was speaking something to me very clearly. Um, And, and, you know, during that process, uh, God allowed me to really, and I was broken and I was sitting on the outside, but on the inside, my heart wanted to please God. I really wanted to change. And I went through some period of, of, of growth during that time of my life where God was putting some, you know, really pouring some nuggets out into my life. There was times where I would shake and I would fight and I'd say, God, I, I don't want to be that person anymore. Help me, God, change me. God, I want to do what's right. And why am I struggling? Why am I continuing to do these things? And so even though on the outside, there was a struggle that, that I know God delivered me from had I walked in it, but I didn't necessarily walk in that deliverance immediately. But, but I, eventually God gave me victory over those things. And my heart was crying out to God saying, God, I want to change. And, and during that season, and, 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 and you know, I, I went to the word of God and I opened the word of God and I came to a verse in Isaiah. You guys ever do this? Lord, speak to me. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll be careful with doing that. If you do that, you probably don't want to end up in lamentations. Isaiah is a little bit scary too. If you put your finger down, you look up and it's Isaiah, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. You want to be like in the Psalms, the sweet psalmist of Israel, you know, like just kind of know where the middle of the Bible is. That's where the Psalms is. But I did that and I came to a verse in Isaiah and it says, with your mouth, you praise me and with your lips, you, you praise me, but your heart is far from me. And again, was the same idea. It was cut to the heart. It was just broken in the heart. Like, like that, that's the reality of where I am. And that's, that's, that's an issue that, that God wants to deal with. And that's the issue that God is dealing with, with the Pharisees, the hypocrisy of religion. And if you know religious folks, you know po- folks that, that, that maybe are pious. And, and, and the problem is the self-righteousness, it begins to stink. And, and, and God doesn't want us to be self-righteous. He doesn't want us to have that air where we're more concerned with what happens on the outside than what, who we really are on the inside. God wants you to be people of integrity. And he wants you to pray. Three things we're going to deal with today. We started last week. Do you remember what they were? It's give. Okay, somebody say give. Right now? Where's the mic? Pass the offering bags again, please. I'm just kidding. Okay, give. The second one is um, pray. Somebody say pray. And the last one is fast. Somebody say fast. So because, listen, Jesus says when you pray, when you fast, when you give. You can look it up for yourself. It's right here. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. When you give, when you fast, when you pray. What does that mean? That means that Jesus assumes that every one of you as Christ followers are going to do three things. That you're going to give, that you're going to pray, and you're going to fast. So how many of you guys can say, um, I'm doing that. 
I'm giving, I'm fasting, I'm praying. Don't raise your hand because then you'll be a self-righteous Pharisee. And people look around and go, ooh, look at you. You're so spiritual. And that'll be your reward and it'll all go south. So just knowing your heart. And again, I would say probably the hardest one of the three that, that, that I think probably we don't practice as well here in the church like we should is probably fasting. It's probably an area that we fall down in a little more than the other two of giving and praying. Um, but, but again, the, the concept that we're reading in, and, and, and listen, I don't write the news, right? I just read it. I don't, I don't, you know, I didn't make this stuff up. Read it for yourself. That's why I want you to be in it. I want you to read it every day for yourself. I want you to grow through it. But there's also a concept weaved in here in this section we are right now in Matthew 6 where um, the concept is a reward for what you do. When you give, there's a reward. When you pray, there's a reward. When you fast, there's a reward. And, and God said to the Pharisees, and what we, we saw last week was they would stand out on the corners and they would blow a trumpet when they gave so that people would gather. And then, and then people would say, oh, look at Rabbi so-and-so. He's so spiritual. And the Lord says, as soon as you receive that glory from men, enjoy it because that's all you're going to get. But when you pray, if you go in your room and you close the door and you pray secretly and only your father in heaven hears you, he will reward you openly. Concept reward. God's going to give you a reward for the motive of how you pray, how you give, how you fast. And so that's the concept that we're in. Right, boys? You guys want to do the wave? Start it, Nate. Come on. That was pathetic. You guys didn't even stand up when you did it. No? You just don't know Bibles. You don't have your phones out. Nothing. What are you doing? Goodness gracious, teenagers. It's kind of cool, though. They spend the night at the house last night. They got to come to church the next day. They got to hear me, Brant. And make sure these guys get saved before they leave, okay? Make sure they get Jesus in their heart. If they're not baptized, just somebody sneak up behind them with a bowl of water and just dunk their head in and say, you've been baptized. We'll make sure we baptize them before they leave. We'll get them baptized and I'm roped into coming to church today. So, all right. Hey, verse number nine, it says in this manner, therefore pray. So I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be quick as we go through the Lord's prayer, because I don't want to, it has very, a lot of value in really breaking down these verses, but I don't think we have time to do that. And I've done that already as we went through it in the gospel of Luke. If you're interested in that teaching, you can find it online. Um, but listen, some people ask oftentimes in the Lord's prayer and you guys know it, will you guys read it with me beginning in verse number nine, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Some people say, is the Lord's prayer intended for us to pray it word for word? And then if we do pray it word for word, as sometimes we see the world do and different organizations do, the NFL being one um, in different places when they pray it, is it then what Jesus talked about, vain repetition? Is it rote prayer? And, or, or, or is it, is it just a model of how we're supposed to pray? Now, I, I think my answer is both that if you pray the Lord's prayer within the Lord's prayer, it definitely is a model because didn't Jesus say in this manner, therefore pray. He didn't say using these exact words. He said in this manner. And so as you go through the Lord's prayer, what you find is all of the key tenets 
that are valuable to you as you try to pray an effective prayer, but it has to be done from the heart. Jesus already said he's not going to recognize as the Pharisees prayers that are vain repetition. You just saying the same words over and over again, but there's no heart behind them. He's not interested. He's not interested in listening to you pray for your many words. And some people think, oh, I'm so spiritual. If I pray a prayer that lasts 45 minutes. True story, D.L. Moody, when he traveled and, and, and he preached and did um, revival conferences all over the world, oftentimes he would have the, the local pastors do the prayers at his, at his um, things. And it happened to him more than once where one of the local pastors would be asked to come and pray for the convention. And so he would begin this long, drawn-out prayer. And Moody would be so disgusted by it that in the middle of the prayer, he would, he would tell the band, Let's sing this hymn and let's stand as a congregation and sing this hymn while brother so-and-so finishes his prayer. And they would stand up and sing because, again, God is not impressed and we're not heard for our many words. It's, it's a heart of communication. You guys ever heard that saying, prayer changes things? I've, I've heard people say, well, that, that's really not the purpose of prayer, but prayer changes you. Prayer changes us. But I, I disagree with that. I think, again, I don't think you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think that they're both true. That when you pray, it absolutely does change things. God uses your prayers to change events in your life. Prayer is also intentional to change you. That is the purpose of prayer. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. Jesus taught us a valuable lesson in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I guarantee you that all of your prayers and all of your life, you'll find more joy in everything that you pray and seek God for. If you have the heart that at the end of every one of your prayers, you're willing to say, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And that's what Jesus teaches here. And so in prayer, yes, prayer is intended not so much to just get what you need and get your, get your, you know, it's not like you're going through a drive through window, you know, and God's on the other side of the drive through window and you place your order and he passes it out the window. Let me tell you something about God. Do you guys know this about God? You might not understand this about God. God knows how to send text messages to your phone. You think he could do it? If God wanted to text you, could he text you? Does he? No, he doesn't. Okay. But he's God, right? It wouldn't be difficult for him to send you a text message if he wanted to. But God doesn't answer your prayers in text messages. He doesn't answer him those things because, again, a lot of praying and a lot of what what Jesus intends in the Bible talks about in praying. It absolutely has to do with us spending time and communicating and relating to God on a real level. And so, yes, they're true. Prayer does change things. Prayer also changes me. Prayer is also not just an avenue where I show up by which um, I, I just get what I need from this genie. You know, if your concept of God is that God is a genie in a bottle and you just rub it when times are, you know, when you need something, you're going to miss it altogether. And God's not your genie, unfortunately. I hate to tell you that. And, and you know what? Because he's such an amazing, good, loving, merciful God, sometimes he shows up and acts like a genie and does miracles to bless and change your life because he just loves you that much. But God's not a genie in a bottle. And sometimes the only time we pray is, you know, when, when, when we're in trouble and when we're, we're throwing out a lifeline. But the intention of prayer is, is communication. So, um, so he says, is it a temple or do we actually pray? That's where I started all that. Okay, I think it's both. I think you can go through, I think you'd be valuable in your life, actually memorize or actually pray. But if you just go through, oh, Father in heaven, amen. 
you know, like, or maybe do it seven times. Like, it's like you're accomplishing something. Listen, that's not the point. God's not impressed. You didn't earn any points. You just wasted that much time of your life. And then God's like, are you done? Do you want to really talk now? I like people who pray in the old English. Like, that's like, God is somehow impressed that, you know, you don't even know how to talk old English. You're like, you live in 2018. Like, you didn't even. All right. So, um, so both are true. It is a model. And it's a manner in which we pray. It, it also can be used as long as it's coming from the heart as an actual pray the word. So, <clears throat> a couple tenets I'll highlight and then we'll get, and then we'll move on. It says, um, for our mothers so we can get done on time today on Mother's Day. So, our Father in heaven. Where's, where's God? In heaven. What is heaven like? Is it a kingdom? Is it, is it a majesty? Is it impressive? Um, how many of you guys have a heaven? To send people to? None of you? So does that separate? Um, you don't, by the way. Put your hands down. You have no heaven. Only God has a heaven and he's in it. You have a heaven that God's going to send you someday, but it's his. So immediately we acknowledge who God is. You know, in the Bible we see this, this prayer meeting where they, and they say to the God of, of the heavens and the earth and all that is in him, the creator of all things. You know, and so we first acknowledge as we pray and your prayers, your prayer life will change. If you, first of all, you don't just come to God as, uh, oh, the big man upstairs, the good old dude up top. Like, you know, again, if that's the way that you, you relate to God, that's probably a sign that you really don't have a, a real good relationship with God. If he's the good old boy upstairs or he's, you know, but again, acknowledging in the Lord's prayer and in your prayers First of all, who you're praying to, that he has a kingdom, that, that he's, he, he has power, he's able to help you. So um, our Father who art in heaven, the word Father, again, is the first word that kids learn to speak to their dads as babies. It's Dada. Real simple. There, there are more formal words for Father, and this is not one of them. And I love that, that Jesus, in order to describe God to you and I, he uses a very common word that, that basically, you know, to bring it to, to our, to relate to us today, it's basically saying daddy, dad, dad, our dad, our father, our daddy who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. So hallowed is, um, in other words, praise be to your name, sanctified, set apart, awesome, hallowed. Um, so, so it's, it's adoration and it's praise. So we acknowledge who he is. We begin by praising him. And then it says, um, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus prayed that at the end of his prayer here in the Lord's prayer, he gives it to us at the beginning. Basically, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to make requests, but even if, um, my mom still dies from cancer, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And I'm going to trust you and I'm going to serve you regardless. Even if a, B, C, D. I'm asking for miracles. I'm asking for healing. I'm asking for financial blessing. I'm asking for whatever I need in my life. But regardless, I'm going to trust you and serve you um, my, with, with all my life, regardless of how you answer. Because one day, it'll make sense. And listen, the thing that's just to remember is that, that everything that God does is righteous and true. Does that mean allowing your, your mom to die from cancer? Is that righteous and true? Absolutely. All things that God does are righteous and true. And one day it'll make sense, and it hurts today and doesn't make sense today, but an attitude of prayer is that no matter what happens, God, I'm going to trust you. And so then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, um, really important that, that bread in the Bible is, um, is the word of God, right? 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but what? But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So bread is a type or it's an idiom in the Bible for the word of God. It's your daily bread. That's why we have that thing. It's our daily bread that, that, that God's daily bread is his word of God. And so he gives us a, a picture of what Jesus said here. Give us this day our daily bread in the Old Testament when he provided for the children of Israel bread that would appear on the ground in the morning. What was it called? Manna. Now, listen, the word of God in your life is the same way. It's a picture. How did the manna work in the Old Testament? You could only collect enough for one day. And if you went out and you grabbed two days worth, the Bible says that you would stick tomorrow's um, ration in the pantry. And then the next day you would sleep in till noon. And then you'd go in the pantry for, for brunch. And it said it would stinketh. It was putrid. It was just ammonia and, and disgusting. Like you had to get it out of the house because it, it had molded in the house overnight. Because you could only collect enough for one night. Except for on the Sabbath. This is how you knew it was all miraculous. On Sabbath, the day before Sabbath, you could collect two days. Because you didn't have to do any work on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath day was already there for you. But any other day of the week, you had to go out and you could only get enough for the day. And then you, you, you had to get it before the, the day began. Because if you went out in the afternoon, if you went out too late, basically the time of the morning that the dew it starts to melt and dry. What part of the day is that? I don't know. Nine o'clock, eight o'clock, ten o'clock. Nine, seven, eight, somewhere in there. It's early enough that you had to get out, collect it. And so you couldn't, you know, and the word of God is the same way. And there is a principle in the word of God that if you do it early in the morning, there's something special about it. There really is. It's just biblical. Because what happens is if you, if you don't get it first thing in the morning, what happens with the rest of your day? You never get it. It evaporates just like the manna. But you want to change your life today? You want to bless your life today? Do what God's word says right here. Do the example that he gave you with the manna. And every day when you get up, get up early and read the word of God. Put that in your life and see that God won't absolutely bless and change your life. Simple, simple, simple recipe for God's blessing in your life. But God lays it out and it'll work. So he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We'll come back to that. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In verse 14 after the Lord's prayer, he goes back to the concept of unforgiveness. Now, two concepts are true in, in, in the Bible. That if your relationship with God, which makes the, the vertical pull, is not right, then your relationships with, with your family, with your friends, with people, with your spouse, with, with your parents, with your kids, they won't be right. If your relationship with God is not right, then this won't be right. And conversely, it works the other way as well. If, if your relationship with the people horizontally in your life is not right, then your relationship with God can't be right either. But the two go together, they form a cross. And here the Lord says, listen, pretty strong words. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 14. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will, will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Is that Chinese? Do I need to get a Chinese interpreter in here because we don't understand what Jesus just said? I just say Chinese because that's like, right? Just a metaphor. Don't take it personally. Um, next time I'm going to say Japanese. Is that Japanese? In other words, is it hard to understand? If you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. Like, that's not hard to understand. How many of you guys 
have unforgiveness in your heart for somebody. Look, it's a problem. You have to forgive. You, you don't have the right not to forgive. I want to say something about this verse, though. I, I, I don't think that if you have unforgiveness in your heart and you're unwilling to forgive somebody in your life, that, that as a punishment now, God says, well, fine, then I won't forgive you according to this verse. I don't think it works that way. Although that's the way it sounds, right? That's the way it reads. He said, let me read it one more time. You guys read it with me. Verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive you your trespasses. As a Christian, you forfeit the right to have unforgiveness. I've had conversations with Christians and encouraged them in this verse and in this concept that they have to forgive. I've told them to go pray about it, to go ask God and come back to me and tell me what God said. And I've had people come back to me and say, God told me I don't have to forgive. And I back up so the lightning don't hit me too. Because God didn't tell you that. Because God's not going to say something in his word opposite that he spoke to your heart. Unfortunately, I sent you away with assignment, hoping that you, you would have actually heard God's voice. But if you heard God's voice, the Bible is very clear. You have to forgive. Now, I think, I think the way this works practically, I think if you have unforgiveness in your heart for somebody, it's probably more, I don't think it's God then saying, okay, fine, then I'm not going to forgive you. I think probably you don't have a relationship with God in your life and you don't have the forgiveness of God that exists in your life and therefore you struggle giving that forgiveness to other people. Because naturally, I think what happens is once you realize that God has forgiven you and once you experience the grace and the mercy of God in your life and you know what a sinner you are and you know the power of that forgiveness that you naturally will forgive people. When you've experienced it, you're going to give it away. And if you, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, it could be a sign of, of a deeper trouble that maybe God's not forgiven you. But it's something you've got to jump on with both feet, something you've got to deal with. Amen? Amen. So get it right, you guys. Confess it. Ask God to help you with it. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to help you forgive others. And, and, and listen, God loves you so much. He's a good, good father. And he's not angry. And he doesn't say you have to forgive other people because, you know, I want my children to behave a certain way. He says, because I love you so much, it's going to destroy your life if you don't forgive. It's only going to hurt you and the people you love in your circle if you don't forgive. It has nothing to do with the person who wronged you. I'm going to deal with them. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But it's because of what it does in the heart of my own children. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. You're mad at somebody and you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody else. And you lay up at night, wake night thinking about them and how mad you are at them. Guess what they're doing? Sleeping like a baby. And then guess, guess who gets the brunt of your wrath? Your husband, your wife, your kids, your workers, the people that love you, the people that love him. Because you're not mad at them. You're mad at somebody else that you, that you haven't talked to or seen in a week, a month, a year. And, and you have a wrath inside you that wants to come out. And then naturally it just comes out on the people that are in your circle that love you and you love them the most. Amen? And for that reason, God says, deal with it. Get rid of it. Repent. Forgive. All right. Another minute and two seconds. We're going to roll. Moreover, when you fast, somebody say when. Okay. Does Jesus expect that you would fast? Okay. How's your fast life? Okay. Um, mine either. When I was, when I was young, I fasted a lot. I really did. I, I had a good discipline as a Bible college student, as a young pastor. And as I got older, it, it waned a little bit. Um, I, I've done a couple 
fast. You know, we, we do some fast here as a, as a men's ministry and some things over the last couple of years. We just did one recently. And so it's not non-existent, but probably not as good as it should be. But here's a, here's a quick challenge for you guys. Pray about this. Um, and, and again, it's for you and it'll bless you. And, and if Jesus said here, when you fast, I don't want you to take it from me. I'm not trying to put anything on you that God doesn't want to put on you, but it, it will, um, bless your life to start engaging in, in a, in a season, in a, in fasting, in your Christian walk. So try the first Monday of every month, or you don't like that, then make the first Wednesday, the first Tuesday, the last Friday, pick a day. Um, when I was in Bible college, I did the first three the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of every month. And then there's 12 months. Three times 12 is what? 36. And then I was going to try to poke in four days throughout the year, which would give me 40 days in a year. That was my goal as a Bible college student. Um, and that's the way that I tried to accomplish it. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of every month. And then four more days throughout the year would give me 40 days on a year because Jesus fasted for 40 days and because I'm so much like Jesus. No, of course not. I actually never made the 40 days. I never completed a year doing 40 days. God would never let me probably for the same reason that I would boast about it. And um, so I never accomplished a year of 40 days. I think I got to 32 one year, but, um, but I haven't done that in a while. So that, that's a, a, a way to implement some fasting in your life. When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their what? Reward. So is there a concept of reward given through giving, praying, and fasting? Absolutely. It's a Jesus concept. You're going to get it here in verse 18 as well. But when you fast again, anoint your head with oil, wash your face. So again, Jesus is saying, take a shower, brush your teeth, put on cologne, you know, prepare yourself, look normal. Don't show up to work. Like what's wrong with you? I'm fasting. You know, like just no. Okay. So, um, look normal, anoint your head, put on your cologne you know, here's one of the things that can happen when you're fasting. Um, somebody can say, you know, hey, would you like a piece of cake? And you say, oh, I'm not hungry. Stomach's growling. And well, now you're just a liar, right? Because you are hungry. So I don't know that God necessarily wants you lying either. And someone says, well, I'm not supposed to let people know or I lose my reward. Yeah, but listen, it's, 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 it's a matter of the heart, right? There, there are times where, where you can maintain a, a heart that is, that is doing it with the right motive and not trying to be boastful and bragful and people around you can still know you're fasting, right? That, that can happen. I'm telling you that can happen. Okay. So maybe at some times it's easier on a fast to eat the cake. I've done that. It's just easier just to, yeah, someone, you know, I go to a, a hospital call, I go to a house call or something during a fast and they offer me some goodie or something like Rather than go through this whole thing back and forth, like, no, no, thank you. I appreciate it, but no, thank you. Oh, come on, really, really? No, no, thank you. I'm fasting, okay? I can't have it. I'm really hungry, but I want it, but I won't eat it. Like, rather than get there, or rather than lie to them, or whether there's a problem, just eat it. It's okay. Just, it's, just, it's better that way. Just eat it. Or, you know, or say, you know what? I really appreciate it, but I'm, I'm fasting today, so I'm, I can't. And that's okay too. And again, you haven't stole your reward. You haven't tried to ring your own bell. You know, you did it with the right heart and, and God can see through that, right? Okay, so then in verse 18, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will do what? 
rewards you openly. Hey, let's t- let's look at some reward real quick, and then we'll be done with today. Um, Verse 19, because it's in the next thing. Do not lay up for your treasures on earth. Where? Somebody say on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in where? Heaven. How do you lay up for yourself treasures in heaven? Is that even possible? You know, we say these jokes sometimes, but listen, I think theologically they do help us illustrate a real point. There was a woman who, who died and went to heaven and um, St. Peter greeted her at, at, at heaven and he walked her down the per, through the pearly gates and across the golden streets of heaven and, um, and, and the houses. And he finally brings her to her mansion because Jesus said that um, where I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll bring you again to myself. And in my father's house are what? Many mansions. And so um, she gets to her mansion and it's a grass hut with mud floors and mud tiki sides and it's not much and um so she sees across the street a palatial mansion and the lady who gets the palatial mansion is like she doesn't looks a little shabby and you know this woman was was influential in the earth and when she was on this side of eternity and so she goes and she signs paint peter and she's like well what is the deal why do i have this hut and there's these mansions right on my street can i just live in the house across the street and how come I have such a terrible house, a mansion? And, and Peter tells her what? Because we build your houses with the materials that you provide, that you sent up. And again, that's not a true story. I don't think that's actually the way it's going to go down in heaven, but it does illustrate a truth. And this is the concept that Jesus is teaching, that you are sending up how? Well, three ways Jesus already told us, giving, fasting, praying, doing alms, doing good deeds. Jesus didn't say that the Pharisees were wrong for, the, for fasting, for praying, for, for giving, for, for um, doing alms and doing good works. Jesus said the way and the motive was wrong, but he said you should also do those things. And those things are sending up treasures for you in heaven. So you do something amazing. You know, I, I always say, listen, if, if you didn't have a lot of time or you didn't get this concept and maybe you just didn't believe it and you didn't spend time sending up treasures to heaven, just get to know Lydia and you can go live at her house because it's going to be big. She's going to have lots of rooms and lots of stuff. She's sending up lots of material. She's an angel. And so you could just, just go hang out at Lydia's house if yours don't turn out so nice. But the, the concept is biblical. It is true. You know, are, are you saying, Pastor, that that some people in heaven are going to get a greater reward than others? Absolutely. And I'm not saying it. The Bible's saying it. Do we all go to the same heaven? Yes. Are there three levels of heaven for good, bad, and worse people? Absolutely not. One heaven. God is in that heaven. Um, We go there, but there are levels of rewards. That's how your works work. Your works have nothing to do with whether you get there or not. You cannot add or take away to anything that Jesus did on the cross for your sins and for your salvation. That's a done deal. But what you receive when you get there, it does seem to be very biblical that, that there are levels of reward in heaven. And that's what Jesus talks about. So again, his advice here in verse 19 is not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay, how many of you guys invest in, in, in earth and never invest in the kingdom of God? It's a mistake, right? How many of you guys go camping? How many of you guys like to camp? Anybody still tent camp? Nobody? One brave soul? For those of you that tent camp, 
How many of you guys take like the, the kitchen sink, you take the most expensive Rembrandt, like priceless piece of art, you take all the most fancy kitchen tile and all the most beautiful things, and then you set up your tent, and then you hang your Rembrandt on the wall, and you go inside and you install your, your, your beautiful kitchen tiles, like you don't do that, why? Because it's temporary, it's a tent. Well, let me tell you about something about your house and where you live now. It's temporary. It's a tent. And it doesn't make sense to make those kind of investments in this life when Jesus said to invest in your eternal life where, where those things are going to be waiting for you, where you're going to have a reward in heaven. Amen? Amen. And you guys are going to have an amazing reward, you moms, for listening to that sermon on Mother's Day. Let's stand. Um, I often tease that, and it's true, although you guys are pretty good today, but in Utah, I've been in Utah five years. This is totally different in California. But in Utah... I think what all the mothers want for Mother's Day is to not have to go to church on Mother's Day. Our, one of our lowest attendance-wise Sundays every year is Mother's Day. But today wasn't too bad, but still a lot of moms stayed home. But just cool. I get it. I wouldn't want to come listen to me preach on my... On, I know. <laughs> they just get to take that day off. Well, I'm proud of all you moms that came, and uh, we love you guys. And so... Um, God's going to give you a special blessing for coming today on Mother's Day. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, so much for this day, Father. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon each of the moms that's here. And Lord, we, we pray, Father, for the lessons that we learn in the Sermon on the Mount. And I pray, God, that this lessons, they're, again, Lord, in jest, but, but the reality is they're not hard to understand. They're not Chinese. Lord, we can read them. We can apply them. And we thank you that, that Jesus taught them so clearly. And they make so much sense. That, that we don't invest in, in temporal things, that we should fast, we should pray, we should read the Bible, that, that, that we should give, that those are things that's just expected that we do. And Lord, not to earn points, but we build relationship and we, we grow. And you've promised that, that those are, are choices of life that will bring blessing and bring your blessing in our life. And God, we desire a real genuine relationship, a real genuine blessing of God in our lives. And so Lord, help us to do those things and not from from repetition and not from vain, um, you know, hypocrisy as the, as the Pharisees and Sadducees, but from real integrity of heart that we would bless you and seek you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Mother's Day and the rest of your day.